Hey, everyone. Welcome back to On The Tape. I'm Guy Adami, joined as always by my dear friends Danny Moses and Dan Nathan. Today, we'll be talking to pilot, scuba diver, and market extraordinaire Tony Dwyer of Canaccord Genuity. Stick around. We've got a great show for you today. Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Hello, Tony. Hello. Just thought I'd let you know. Where's the S&P gonna go? Oh, man. Hello, Tony. Tony. Was that your Neil Diamond voice? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's fantastic. That's outstanding. Thank you. Thank you. That's Danny Moses, ladies and gentlemen. Most right. people hate their voice, not Danny Moses. No, I don't. No, I hate my voice. I can't listen. <laughs> no, you sound great. First of all, we're all here in person. First time I've seen well, the Tony. Kids call that, the kids call that IRL. What kids? The, the kids. The kids. So, well, we're the IRL. We're, I don't know what we are, but Tony Dwyer flew here. Tony, can you, what the hell's that? So when my son was a little kid, he was always playing aviation video games. So when he started to do well in school, he asked if he could try to fly. So he was doing his solo on his 16th birthday. And I'm standing on the tarmac with my wife and we're looking at the plane that he was flying and we're thinking... I better learn how to do this. So I learned how to fly in 2013, got instrument rated, just got back from a trip to Chicago, first marketing trip in a year and a half, and just came back from the Adirondacks just to be with you guys. And I couldn't think of three better guys to do it with. Well, there you go, man. Well, it's really appreciate you. For us, we've been doing the podcast now for six months. We're really completing six months, and we just got into the studio. So it's been a lot of fun, and it's great to have you here. You were the first name on the list, and I'm glad we were able to do this in person because I think collectively we respect your work, and I know our audience absolutely respects your work. You've been on Fast Money more times than I can count, Network, obviously, as well. And the market's been fascinating. I don't want to drill down into calls, but just as we sit here, you know, we're sitting here ahead of a bank stress test, which will come out after we tape this. The market seems impervious to everything, Tony. So maybe you can just sort of wax poetic a bit before we drill down. That's such a great point, Guy. I don't think the market's impervious to it. I think it's been going through these rolling... Correction. So in April, we had downgraded the market. It caught a lot of news. It's I hate it. It's like made for TV. But the call for a 10% correction has literally happened in every area. In May, the NASDAQ got down 9%. Semis down 14%. Then you fast forward to currencies coming. The dollar comes down hard and it bounces back. The 10-year note yield in March. Nobody on the planet thought the 10-year note yield was going to come down. But the 10-week rate had changed it. And we downgraded the financials at that point. So then fast forward to last week. I mean, come on, you got a 12 to 15% hit between the banks, the materials, the industrials. So, Guy, I think you bring up a really frustrating point for a lot of people. You're looking at the S&P or NASDAQ and you're like, wait a second. It's at a new record high. I would also add crypto is an asset class. Exactly. I meant to say that too. No. So we've gone. I know the S&P's tenfold bigger than crypto, but crypto went from two and a half trillion to 1.6 trillion or whatever the total amount is of those Fugazi coins. Well, you took all the fluff out of it, Danny. I mean, yeah. you, you know, yeah. you, know yeah. the, you know, you took all the fluff <laughs> and euphoria out of every area. You hit the specs, you hit the crypto, you hit the currencies, you hit everything along the way. So here we are at a record high. Here's the issue. In this cycle, it used to be that if the market gets defensive, Infotech goes down. 
So now with the secular names, secular growth names, if you add back the FANG names that were taken out of Infotech in 2018, it's 38% of the market. So if the move when it gets defensive is to buy what represents 38% of the market, you really need an event to create a bigger than 5%-ish kind of thing. So you just go through this rolling rotation and rolling correction that's very frustrating for people to watch. Yeah, frustrating, but the S&P is up 13% in the year. The NASDAQ, which had really underperformed the S&P for most of the year, has really, like you said, caught that bid because now big tech is deemed to be defensive. And that brings us back to where we were in early spring of 2020 when, what did Drucker Miller call it, a black hole that we're in? Where did money go to first? It went to the largest cap recurring revenue that's sort right. of names. I saw a tweet earlier today, Tony, from Lizanne Saunders. Non-profitable tech stocks have reasserted some of their dominance this month and are outpacing the S&P 500 by 10%. So what does that tell you? We're getting to a point where you've had all these rotations. You move back into big cap tech. Now they're going back for everything. So we know the meme stocks are thing. If crypto could yeah. kind of put it in a little bottom, that's the one thing I would say about this summer that could be kind of weird here. We're breaking out to new highs after these major indices have consolidated here. Are we going to see just a wild ride into Q2 earnings? I just think it's going to be more rotational, Dan. Like I showed you a chart I wrote onto our strategy.com about there's a great indicator for rotation between growth and value. And I'm happy to give it publicly as an educational thing. It's a 10 day rate of change on the relative performance of the Russell 1000 growth to the Russell 1000 value. The time to be buying the growth and really getting aggressive in growth was in May when everything was down almost 10%. Now that relationship has gotten to an extreme where growth is outperformed, to Lizanne's point, who is fantastic, by the way, is outperformed by such a degree that you want to buy value. Now, it doesn't mean that growth tanks. So that could mean that value goes up more than growth or it could mean that value goes down less than growth on a pullback. It all comes down to interest rates. So here's the call. Think about this. In March, most people thought that the 10-year note yield was going to go straight to 2% on inflation break-evens and inflation fear. It's never had such a big rate of change on a 10-week basis. You've taken all of that out, and now it's oversold. So what if you actually go back to the reflation trade. And Dan, I'm glad you asked because here's the deal. This is exactly what happened in 2004 and 2010. We are in an indigestion period, in my opinion. And forget my opinion. My opinion is stupid. It's what the history is. We're in a period where you're trying to figure out whether the Fed is going to pull forward their tightening. Doesn't that sound like 2004 after that huge runoff dot-com low? Doesn't that sound like right after the great financial crisis with an 81% never before seen ramp and you go into the spring of 2004 and it's indigestion. It's not the end of the world. It's a five to 10%, maybe even a little bit more. Those occurred because the Fed cut rates to zero in both instances. One was because of 9-11 and the market responded. And mm -hmm. I give credit to the American consumer. They come back, man, no, never underestimate it. And then I was going to say again, and then after the global financial crisis, rates go down. On, so to this indigestion, and someone's got to absorb and figure out the roadmap here, and I don't think that's really clear. So when you look at access, what's driving it, guy? You know, excess liquidity. You say it all without the time. question. And it's interesting, quickly about the, and I don't want to make people's eyes glaze over, but something's happened over the last couple of weeks that I think is interesting. I'm interested to hear your take. You know that reverse repo market, right? I mean, this overnight reverse repo market that was flat forever. The Fed raised their interest rate, what they pay people to five basis points, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. And that thing exploded in terms of the amount of demand there. And to me, that speaks to 
it's at record levels, and it speaks to excess in the system. And it speaks to me that the Fed should have been tapering six months ago. Now, am I way off base in that? Is that something, you know, a few months from now, we're looking back and say, hmm, eerily reminiscent of that when the overnight repo market blew up in, I believe, September of 2019. So, Guy... Me commenting on banks is ridiculous with Danny Moses sitting here next to me. Oh, I know Danny has views, <laughs> right. believe but me. No, okay, so here's the – I go to my buddy Brian Reynolds, who's one of my fixed income gurus. Basically, what you're seeing is I don't think the Fed ever anticipated that the government would actually give people that much money. Yeah. If you get kids and everybody to get money deposited into the bank account, you have this huge surge of money into a bank. Well, Danny, what do you do when you get money in a bank? You either lend it. Or you invest it. Or blow it on crypto. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, let's go with the things that I can figure out. You got it. Right. So so they had to invest it, Guy. Where are they going to invest it? They're not going to invest it in triple C paper. They're going to invest it in short-term instruments. So I think it's more of that excess liquidity going in. So what I say to the institutions is, and I'm typically known for kind of being a permable, but I say to institutions, what's the next move in money? Is excess liquidity going to go up or down? And the answer is it's already starting to come. Can I interrupt for one second? Because I don't think you're being fair to yourself. I think people might believe that, but nothing could be further from the truth. I said this on the show a number of times. Tony Dwyer is nothing. He's not a perma anything. The only thing he's perma is he does extraordinarily thoughtful work, and he's pretty much been perma right. So I think you're doing yourself a disservice when you say things like that. And I'm not trying to be glib here. It's just true. So I I understand why people say that because it's been right to be bullish for the last few years. But when the data changes, you'll be the first one to say, hey, something's changed here. So one thing I would say, and I'm going to play Melissa Lee here because I think I've heard her ask you this question probably dozens of times over the last 10 years on our show. So what is the average investor who's not trading sector rotations or maybe trading individual stocks? How do they take that view? And you've been really great on that. You've been calling these tactical sell-offs for years, okay? And you're not always going to call the top and you're always going to correct it at the bottom. How does the average investor take that call and, and, and use it to their advantage? Dan, we've been close for a long time. And I think the biggest disservice that I can ever do, I've said this on the show in response to that question, is pretend that I can guide an individual investor what they should do with their money. I don't know their time frame. I don't know their risk tolerance. I don't know any of that stuff. And I think what most people really need to know about guys and gals like me that do what I do is we advise institution. We're a data point in somebody's process, full stop. If you're trading off of my information, I promise you, you're going to lose because I have to be early by definition. If Danny's investing money, managing money, and I call him like I used to before the great financial crisis really came into play, they would call me in and they would ask me what I would think. I need lead time. They've got too much money. I can't go on a show and say, okay, buy banks today in the next 15 minutes. If I'm right, I've spent inappropriate to my institutions because they don't have time to play. I'm not made for TV. I'm not supposed to be right and look right right away. I want to give you as an investor, Dan, the opportunity to take advantage of it. So what would I do right now? I just think the risk and reward is very confusing. It's almost like heresy, guys. We all go on TV and we pretend we know what's going to happen. And sometimes you have a strong feeling. And man, I've been on the show, as you know, and given the strong feelings. Sometimes you don't know. Buddy, I don't know. When's the Fed going to do it? You are one of these strategists who listens to the clients, listens to, and you can change. You're not glued to anything. You're not married to any. You will change. A lot of people aren't that flexible actually or intellectually, and you are, and we were talking during the global financial crisis, I think the inputs 
that we shared with each other, mm-hmm. I think were helpful to both of us. You saved my career. No, uh, I straight say that. up, no. buddy. I cannot understand the stuff that you guys knew. It's not my bandwidth. I'm a political science major from Lemoyne College in Syracuse, New York. I, <laughs> how do what you is spell the, mortgage? What is the <laughs> mascot guy for Lemoyne? Is, I think it's the donkeys. Just, no, <laughs> wait, wait, no, wait, wait. not only is it wait, not wait, the wait, donkeys, wait, you wait, donkey. Tony, it's the guy dolphins. knows everything. I can't believe so, I got him. So, I got him. So Tony knows this that I grew up in Fayetteville, New York, which is about five, six miles from Lemoyne College. Okay, and so what just, is it? Just I have no idea, but I, I will tell you that the Lemoyne Mart, which was literally, you could walk in, oh, you yeah. could be a sixteen years old. You 16. walk in there with your library card, you walk out of there with a 12-pack of beer. And so I used to spend a lot of time up at Lemoyne. Oh, that was like the key. Yeah. <laughs> but we digress. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Tony, what is it's it? the Lemoyne Dolphins. I was and close. By the way, that just makes so sense. You know, it's right near the ocean. I'm on the board of trustees yeah. there, which yeah. makes everyone <laughs> laugh. Oh, wow. Makes everybody laugh. All right. Sorry, and, Lemoyne. I should have known it was the Dolphins. It's the Lemoyne. And we this guy won at me. the <laughs> national championship for lacrosse. Division two. Really? Yeah. And they, you guys have a great baseball program, right? Historically, yep. I tell you what, it's it's sort of like sister school in Maryland, yeah, Loyola, right? Like, how can a small school like that be so good at a sport? And it's just, it's a great a- academic institution that brings in good athletes that want to have a liberal arts education. I'm so grateful for it. So, are you on the endowment? I am. So, what do you recommend to them? Let's answer both Dan's <laughs> questions, right? What do you advise people? Follow what your mandate is. Don't change it because somebody like me or you guys come on TV and tell you to do something. Listen to the data, and if the data shows it, then you well, can- well, hold on a second. We got we're going to get guy all riled up. Follow the mandate and don't change the data. That doesn't sound like power. Follow the data. I, I was going to say that yeah. certainly doesn't oh, sound triggered. like the federal. Res- I am triggered, triggered. because this is Tony, and, and, <laughs> and I've said this. I'm going to say it again, for, so you can comment. I, I believe strongly that amongst the many villains of the 21st century, and there will be many. Central bankers are going to be at the top of the list. And, you know, people like Ben Bernanke get put on magazine covers. He saved the world. I think that's complete horseshit. I'm just interested in your thoughts on that. Okay, so let's talk about this is really an important point. As you know, in 2019, I came on the show and I talked about a generational change in the Fed. Okay, you cannot inflate your way out of this, in my opinion, ever. So every cycle has seen a lower peak in interest rates. And the reason is because you save the prior cycle by printing as much money as you can. So here's the – give me two minutes for a rant. Go. Okay? Ooh, so, we love rants. So, what do we call them? We have a name for it. It's a rot. Danny and, calls and, it ripping off the tape. Yeah. But we'll, so we'll, we'll give Tony Dwyer <laughs> his own it. thing. I'll yeah. think of it later. <laughs> TD. Right, let's go. All right. So if you save the prior cycle – so every cycle has a unique reason that you go into a recession. You had the SNL crisis with Michael Milken going to jail, shut down the high-yield market. Then you had the dot-com bust when WorldCom and all the telecom companies that raised that went to zero. Then you had the great financial crisis that Danny nailed like ridiculous. Whatever. So. Well, his yeah. boss Whatever. did. But his they, boss well, did. they yeah. both did, and yeah. I love them. But I'm, I'm waiting to watch the movie, Keep but going. continue. <laughs> I can't because I lived through it with him. Yeah, go ahead. Anyway, um, so bottom line is then we had the pandemic. Four very unique circumstances, right? But coming out of it, it's ex- extraordinarily consistent. You print and throw as much money at it as you can. So you exponentially increase the level of debt. What does that extra money do? It inflates asset prices, stocks, bonds, homes, goods, everything. It's happening this cycle again. So how can somebody afford to buy that elevated asset price if they haven't made a ton more money? Well, there's only one answer, lower interest rates. So what happens each cycle is you print all this money, it goes to lift everything up, and it's all good. We're early in the economic cycle. But then what happens is 
as soon as rates begin to go up, it shuts it down and you can't turn it over again. Yeah, but they're not going up. I mean, so you just said earlier, back in March, no one thought rates were going down. I, I, this guy did. Let me hold point, on, Dan. You did say that. I will tell you. Um, folks know because they watch the show, they listen to this podcast. Dan was... I wasn't me. I thought rates were going beeline to two percent. Dan thought they'd absolutely go back down to one and a half. But my point is exactly what you just described: is that when you think about every crisis is met with more debt, the global economy can't can't deal with higher rates. Right. So one one point seven seven is the higher rate. Yeah. Remember ninety four ninety four? You had this crazy rise in the ten year no yield. You've not been above it ever since. Yeah. That was the middle of it. Well, I mean, Each just, cycle brings a December lower December 2018, 3% on the 10-year U.S. Well, Treasury. And the world, almost the financial world- Well, remember Powell, apart. we're nowhere near neutral. Yeah. Fed Chair Powell, we're nowhere near neutral. Yeah, if you're basing everything off of the mean of the prior cycles, but if you draw a trend line, which we send out in almost every note, if you draw a trend line from the peak in real rates going back to 1980 to today- it suggests, and that this was our call in 2019, is that you would peak the real Fed funds rate somewhere around 1% to 2%. If it takes longer, which it will because it does every cycle, to work your way out of this crisis with more debt, that means your next peak in the real Fed funds rate could be a negative number. So what if the Fed, controversial statement, what if the Fed never is it never, let's not use never, in, for a long time <laughs> past my career, does what Japan and Europe is now doing, and they don't manage interest rates via short-term interest rates. They manage it via the balance sheet and commentary. That changes, and it's because of the level of debt. Well, the one constant of blow-ups is always leverage. So the leverage in the system in a certain asset class or something, that always blows things up. So the Fed is inducing with these low rates. The longer it goes on, the more leverage inherently it gets put on into the system. The leverage this time isn't on the consumer's balance sheet as much as it is on the corporate balance sheet. So That's right. I agree that the market can't handle higher rates, but we should at least experiment with the possibility. Bank of England came out today. They have inflation in their system, but they're not going to raise rates. That sounded coordinated with yeah. the Fed. Obviously, there's a global coordination going on. And we used to make fun of Japan. And you're right. Now we are going to be Japan more than likely. And you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But Danny, what's the a- first in January of 2020? The Fed was asked, everybody was asked, you think you'll ever buy corporate bonds? And they almost laughed. Yeah. No, they'll come Two up with something. Two months later, yeah. so they're this out is, buying corporate bonds, bottoming the tape. So the one thing, though, that is, I mean, the moral hazard we've talked about before, that is, have been here now for the better part of 10 years, what you're creating here, this moral hazard. To invest money in that environment, you'd put your brain in the closet, I guess, and just chase the liquidity because the right trade has been print money. Where is it going? The sexiest asset in town, which is the S&P. That's what it's been for the last several years. And every dip gets bought. And there's no sign the Fed's going to raise rates. Spoos and twos. Spoos and twos. Spoos I have and a, twos. My buddy Timmy's been saying that to me for years. I mean, but, but the answer it. is, that, you know, we get wrapped up in whether they should or shouldn't, whether it's right or wrong. It doesn't matter. They are. Mm-hmm. Right. So if the guy's printing the money, keep giving you the money. But what happens is you go into periods of the tactical stuff where you get this indigestion because, well, what if they stop printing the money? So let's talk about tactical real quick because you've made some amazing calls. And as we sit here, it appears that's as some though. Really bad ones. <laughs> well, listen, I mean, that's the nature of the beast, right? Yep. I mean, it appears as though there's going to be some infrastructure deal. Who knows what's going to happen? Does that come into your line of thinking in terms of sectors to be in? You made a great call with banks. You know, you thought rates were going lower, you thought banks were going to top out. That happened. A lot of great calls underneath. As we sort of look forward at the landscape, you know, we sit here with a 10 year, probably 1.48% SP all time high. We've gone through this. 
What looks interesting? What doesn't look interesting to Tony Dwyer? If you look at the relative performance of the banks, the industrials, and the materials, and that was my banks and tanks call last year, it's time again. They are oversold on a short and intermediate term basis relative to the S&P, relative to growth. I want to get around whether it should be or shouldn't be. It's what the data shows. So that, I think, is a better call guy than what the S&P is going to do. Because like I said, I think structurally, you need an event. You need one of two things to make the S&P tank. Either need an event like a Volmageddon in 2018, early mm-hmm. number of volatility funds blew up in early 2018, or a flash crash a la 2010. You need a market event to take everything down because such a big part of the market, 38% of the market almost, is these mega cap names where the money goes on a defensive move. Well, the other thing in D.C. going on on top of the infrastructure bill is the antitrust on the large, some of these large tech names that you're talking about. I could argue that stocks may go up on breaking some of these companies up, not go down, but there is pressure, obviously, to do something there. So that could cause a little rip. You talk about, let's talk about the five names. There were $8 trillion in market cap. They make up maybe 50% of the S&P 500's weight. Tony, to your point, though, you you talked about, like, what's the thing that makes the S&P go down? Since 2001, how many years has the S&P actually gone down? We had 2008 during the financial crisis. It didn't even go down last year. I think the S&P was up 15%. I mean, you think about it, it's kind of a rigged game at this point. I think you buy every dip. I think the Fed told you, a guy says, what is their dual mandate guy? It's not uh, stable price. And listen, I've said this, I'll say, I'm convinced their mandate is to make sure both the S&P 500 and NASDAQ go higher, which is, I know that sounds preposterous, but if you think about this real quick, Tony, we talked about what this economy is. It's consumer spending. When do consumers feel good about things? In my opinion, whether they own a stock or not, when they see the stock market go up every single day, they say to themselves, hmm, Market strong means the economy must be strong. My neighbor just bought that Mercedes or bought that bunch of Starbucks coffees for his buddies. Maybe I can do the same thing. The only time consumer spending stops on a dime is when the market goes lower. And we saw it in basically when the market went down 19.9%, Dan Nathan, if you recall, in October 18 to December of 2018, consumer spending stopped on a dime. And then I'll say it again. Fed was raised... Jerome Powell, new to the Fed, said we're going to raise rates and we're going to systematically unwind our balance sheet. The market didn't like it. They reversed course. It's been off to the races ever since. Well, let's talk about why it happened, why you get a correction, okay? So coming out of a recession, like we said before, the Fed and the government give you all the money they can. That's the only way to get out of it. They'll give you as much as humanly or inhumanly possible. It doesn't matter right or wrong. It just is. If you're given that amount of money, you can't spend it right away, guy. Like you can't, I mean, it's very difficult. Maybe I could, my wife and I and kids. <laughs> Brewster's millions. <laughs> right. You can spend it. You don't spend it right away. So all this money that Danny talked about corporate, all the money that's being raised, that went into investment. It hasn't gone into economic activity. So what is excess liquidity measure? The growth in money supply plus the growth in the markets, stock and bonds, which has been never before seen, both of them, doubled ever against what is being used for economic production, industrial production. So you measure excess liquidity with the readily available money against what's being used for economic activity. They gave them all the money and they didn't use it yet. Now they're starting to use it. So you're just like 2004 was historically unique prior to that previous cycle. 2010 was unique to that previous cycle and now is unique to that. In other words, this is normal. I know it sounds insane to say they print as much money as they can. They drive up all the investments that they can. How about the people coming into New York? So I come into New York 
when I'm sitting at home in my shorts and my collared shirt so I can do TV with a tie, usually, I'm not spending any money. How about the toll? Co- what is the toll coming in, 16 guy? Bucks. Now? 16 bucks coming into New Think York. Think about that. How about the 25 to $40 parking, depending on if I make the 630 cutoff at, at the Port Authority? Then I got to buy the 10 to $15 lunch. Forget about it. You got to have the Starbucks. <laughs> Are you kidding me? So all of a sudden, I'm at a $100 day. Versus being in my shorts, not spending any money. That's what I'm talking about with corporate America. They got all the money from the corporate bond, new issuance, from the stock, new issuance. And now they're going to spend it on economic activity. It's a good thing, but it creates indigestion. Tony, I got to push back a little bit. Sure. Not so much pushback, just to point out. So where's the debt gone? The debt has gone to the government's balance sheet, to the Fed and to the government's balance sheet. And the corporate. And corporate. But the risk lies truly right now in the government. But everybody's attitude is, oh, doesn't matter. They can print their way out of this eventually, and rates will stay low. That's why rates have to stay low because That's right. to, okay, you won't be able to service the debt. It's a hundred percent. So right. where, when you learned at the school of the dolphins, and when you were studying political science, doing these things, where do you learn this part of the game of this untested thing experiment that we're all a part of right now? Because <laughs> what if in the old days, when you get a higher return because you take more risk, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's no risk to the U.S. government's balance sheet of ever paying because we have the ability to print, but everybody has the ability to print. The whole world is printing, right? So this game that we're in, and it maybe it goes on for another five to 10 years, but this, you can't say this is like any other cycle. This is nothing like any other cycle. This, to me, we're going to be at 30 trillion. Show me the ratios of debt. Sheet. Listen, S&P can go higher all at once, like, because we're just, the government's just giving people money, to, they're printing money so we can go out and buy these assets. I get it. And people are being forced to buy assets at prices they probably don't want to, but it's not sustainable. And every time the market's down, to me, things tend to make more sense than when the market's up. That's just my vantage point, except for the fact of this liquidity. So you made a comment before that why the market goes down and why the market maybe go back up and what causes that. It's always something you said, with a flash crash, losing confidence. But in the housing crisis, people actually losing their homes and defaulting, not knowing the products that they were in. Maybe people don't know what they're in. And these oh, fixed income ETFs. It. Maybe we get these blowups and these M- MLPs from five, you know, four years ago when oil got killed. I don't know. Maybe it's an instrument that causes something. But I'll say this. Let me end with this. I sorry to rant. Oh no, but, buddy, who but, do I call? I call you. I know. But, looking for what it is, right? But it could be a product, not Bitcoin. It could be anything. It could be a product that gets frozen. Some category, right? Some, yeah, but they end in- up being blips, all, all those situations. And Tony mentioned like the flash crash. My goodness, May 2010. It yeah. really was like a one-day thing and we just moved on. No, and, and it Tony, went can, down 15% then. It bounced back. But Tony, can you help Danny to stop worrying <laughs> and, and learn how to love the debt bomb here? Because that's really what we're talking about. By the way, right? for everyone out there, the minute that I love it, run. Right. The minute that I turn blue, it is over. Like just I'll so be the everybody last knows, yeah. when, literally, when I'm totally confused in the debt market, who do I call? Him and Vinny. Well, I can't, I can't call help Vinny, myself. not me. I'm way too, I'm, I'm way too skewed at this point. See, it's, it's one of those things where we're a primary currency. The U.S. is a primary currency. The euro is primary currency. The yen is primary currency. And the truth is, to answer your question, Dan, for Danny, yeah. as long as they're the primary currencies, since I've been in the business since 1987, I've heard that we can't keep printing debt, that it's historically yeah, unique in cycle. About. So let's answer the question that everybody really has. What blows it up? It's when you lose the primary currency status. We've talked about this. You lose the primary currency status so that if you're repaying things in yen, dollar, euros, or pounds, game game over. Because if you – that's where the real inflation, where you become the Weimar Republic and currencies aren't worth anything because you're using something else. And then that way the US, Japan, Europe can't print negative paper. (laughs) 
Like, think about it. They're printing money to lose money. Things are fragile. Extraordinarily fragile. They're not until you find another avenue. How many times have we all said as as an industry, we can't just keep printing money? Well, somebody better, if you look, yeah, we can look at the level of debt and look at the correlation of the S&P 500. It's debt perfect. to GDP, it's going to be one and a half times next year. It's 150% as we speak, probably. And and by the way, the S&P over GDP, I think, is now north at 200%, which are ridiculous levels. But there's crazy things that I just, not crazy. I, it is crazy. There's things that you're up 90%, 91%. In under a year. Let's drill into the stock market. You just said, like, for instance, banks. Let's talk about some sectors here. Let's talk about some opportunities. Let's talk about being tactical. If you do get your 10% decline, let's say at some point over this course so I of think the we've summer. got it, Dan. Yeah. I think we've got it in the various sectors. Oh, okay. And now All right, that makes more to, sense. Now right. it's time to rotate into the value, because, meaning the cyclical, yeah. because everybody gave up on it. All right, so let's talk about, we saw that rotation back into mega cap tech. We know that materials got hit. We saw banks get hit. Um, we saw home builders, industrial. Remember get Cat hit. and Deer, how they got Yeah, going. but it's funny, you know, I'll just say this, the headline comes out about a bipartisan, okay, infrastructure bill. We just referenced that before. That's fantastic. That's deficit spending. And I'll just say this, deer is up like one and a half percent after getting nailed 13% over the last few weeks. That's not particularly impressive. So I I think that there's a lot of like underlying weakness in some of these names that were really the kind of go-to when people rotated out of the recurring revenue names and they moved into more GDP sensitive names. But now those seem to be busted here. So is this just the, we're just going to continue to have this indigestion and, and yeah. just kind of one step forward, two steps back? That's like the summer of indigestion for 04 and 2010. I mean, I can make a heck of a case for being uber bullish and uber bearish here at the same time. You know, the hardest, what's the real pain trade in our business? Still what's higher. Real, no, no, no. The real pain trade is just wait for it. Right. Go ahead and tell your client, let's just do nothing. But that's my thing. If you're looking for a directional bet, I believe value will outperform growth. Remember, everyone listening to this, I advise institutions. That could mean value goes down less than growth if the market gets smoked. It could mean value goes up more than growth if the market rips. So what are the odds that we're going to go into a recession? What do you really want to buy a defensive position sector outside of some kind of tactical overbought, oversold situation? It's got to be the only time that the market goes down sustainably is when you have the economy has a need for money and limited access to it. You couldn't be further from that. You have triple C paper under 5%, I think. What? But you could have said the same thing in Europe and it would have been the greatest buy ever. <laughs> like, think about that. At 2%, let's say, let's say just for giggles, corporate paper was trading at 2% in Europe. It ended up at some of it went negative yield. So on Thursday, you put out a video talking about something that you've never seen before in your career in terms of the number of stocks below moving averages and how it's sort of set up for some of the things you're talking about now. Could you sort of amplify some of those thoughts? So it wasn't my career. It was in the last three and a half years because getting the data is really cumbersome. I need a quant. Like I said, I'm a political science major. That's why I became political science is I didn't know economics or finance, Dan. So- In the last three and a half years, think of how many new highs we've had just this year. How about the last three and a half years prior? You did it almost every day prior to the pandemic. And at three and a half years, you've never made a new high with under 50% of stocks in the S&P 500 above their 50-day moving average. In other words, the majority of stocks are below their intermediate term trends and you're printing new highs. Is that good or bad? I have no idea. It hasn't happened in three and a half years that I studied, that my associate studied for it. I do know that that's not a really broad new high. No. So the polls will say that that means you can catch up. 
The bears will say that means you got a negative divergence. Tony says, I have no idea. Right. <laughs> so when I don't have an idea, I will come on with conviction and we will have a conversation with conviction. All four of us have done it. So the other thing about this particular cycle, the passive as a percentage is obviously growing by like the day. Like 50%. Yeah, but it's something. never been, it yeah. dominates. And I will say that there are incredible stock one-off opportunities. There's alpha out there. Now, whether hedge funds can pull it off or not, have the staying power to do it. But when you get a sell-off in a sector or in a group, it, let's say value to growth or growth to value, and they all get thrown out, there's opportunities now. And you see these one-off. Yeah. And I'll tell you this. Also, you're getting punished if you're thrown outside of the, out of the box for whatever reason, whether it's you miss a quarter, whether there's a DOJ investing, you're gone. Your stock is gone. So there are opportunities still here for alpha. And I know you make macro calls, but the bottom up stuff, I think, is actually not being really appreciated right now. And I think it's I think that's going to come back. Where you get in trouble in this game is when you start chasing performance. It's like me issuing an opinion because of how I look on TV. When you start chasing performance, you're buying late. It's a classic mistake of a pension fund. You buy the hottest fund manager. It's not the fund manager. It's the space she's in most of the time. Are you talking about right. ARC? <laughs> no, no, definitely. Oh, okay. No, I'm, I'm talking about <laughs> well, like, a tip, like an allocation for I, a pension. Ma- you, you know I what know. I mean. I, I, I just want to make it clear. I'm not talking about no, that. I, but the problem is the time to buy growth, for example, Dan, the time to buy mm-hmm. growth was in May when they're puking the NASDAQ composite and semis are down 14%. And various stocks in FANG are breaking down. Not when they're all breaking out to even a non-technician can identify the breakout. Yeah. So let's talk tactically this summer. We know we have another Fed meeting in in a few weeks here. And then there's this long stretch to Jackson Hole at the end of August. That's a St. Louis Fed retreat there. And we know that historically there's been some important Fed speak that comes out of that. So if I think about the term indigestion, I, I think that this summer is prime for it. You have S&P and NASDAQ breaking out. I suspect the Russell now is going to be breaking out after a long consolidation to new highs. Expectations for corporate earnings for the second half are going to be really high with stocks where they are, and you're going to have difficult comparisons. And then all of a sudden, I think all of us at this table can agree right now that the one thing that's likely to cause a 5 or 10% correction over the next couple of months would be some sort of of change in direction in Fed policy, likely some sort of taper, that sort of thing. In my mind, though, guys, the dots were the dots. We're not going to do that again. So it really is about taper. And I just can't, if they said they were going to, to buy $100 billion a month, is that really going to rile the market at this point, the stock market? You guys tell me. I, I don't know. If that's like, do they start kind of putting out some trial balloons, that sort of thing at some point in late July, or the, the tone changes a little bit of the July meeting, and then we're all looking towards late August? I just don't see that right now. Let's talk about what taper means to the bond market. So in the month of April, the Fed bought $80 billion in U.S. Treasuries. Statistically, that's what they bought. They buy it every month, right? The Treasury printed $68 billion in U.S. Treasuries. So the Fed, the one buyer, bought $12 billion more, right? Now, there were months where they produced $110 billion because they were doing stimulus checks. Now we're in an infrastructure play. What do you think they're going to do? The Treasury will probably increase their issuance, which means – that that's why rates go up is you have more sellers than buyers. Yeah. I, I drive some people bananas because sometimes it's just there's more buyers than sellers. And that's been the case because of the taper. So if you take away the taper at the same time, you're raising the amount that you're issuing to fund the infrastructure bill, you're going to have higher rates. Well, I think there's two things going on. One is they telegraph what they're going to do weeks ahead. They tell you we're going to be in the two year, we're going to be in the five year, we're in the seven year. This is the size of the auction. So the dealers can get ahead of it, which they kind of always do. And they probably saw that supply and demand coming, but 
couple weeks ago, we were in here and we were trying to figure out in the height of the inflation, and I, by the way, I still think we have inflation that some of it's not transitory, sorry, Dan, is that what else is going on behind the scenes? And the one thing that happened today, or it's been happening the last few days, is Israel put the mask mandate back in play today. And I think that's unappreciated, and here's why. They were the first to vaccinate. Pfizer was the big drug that they used. That was in January and February. They were first. Well, I don't know what the percentage of population is. There's a lot of talk about what is the efficacy of this vaccine. Is it six months? Is it nine months? When did it start to ep- right, I don't know. Well, they're reporting that there's infection rate among vaccinated people is rising. Now, are they getting that sick? I don't know. So part of what we may have been seeing a couple weeks ago and why the tenure started to trade down and why the belief at that moment would be the Fed has to keep printing. And that's not because if there's another scare on this variant that's come across and there'll be other variants and I, I hope the vaccine works. I think that's actually being underappreciated right now in the market. And funny enough, I mean, it's horrible for the world. It's probably good for the S&P because that means the Fed can do nothing to your point. Well, Dan. and we talked about that after the financial crisis. Do you remember the obsession with a double dip recession oh, yeah. gave the Fed tons of cover? And I think that if you have these sorts of outbreaks, you know, we know that the China and India are having a hard time right here. A lot of the countries that rely on Island. China for their vaccines are not working particularly well. So we might have the rolling reopening trade across the globe. We might be slowing when another region starts picking up. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities as it relates to that, because think about the financial crisis. That was a rolling financial crisis. When we thought we were kind of out of the woods a little bit, they still had cover to do QE2, QE3. Europe was a disaster up until 2014 or 15, right? We just had a ruling yesterday by the Supreme Court on Fannie and Freddie. Yeah. GSEs, right? We're still dealing with the financial crisis. They're still going to keep these things in conservatorship, right? They're not going to let, they've been sweeping these dividends. We won't go into that. That's a whole four hour show, but- it's still, I, we're still I, paying I the just, price. Let's say, yeah. let's, say the co- that, let's say the COVID comes back and the vaccines aren't working and, and the Israeli situation becomes U.S. situation. Here's the difference of why I want to be careful. And I downgraded the market in January of 2020 because of how crazy. The, you were in the lab? Inverted the curve. I was getting killed, by the way. In the, right. <laughs> right before, but it inverted the curve. Credit was shutting down. All the... Right. That's not the, the case today. And we remember when COVID came in and they shut down the economy, we had no idea what the Fed and the, and the government was going to do. Well, we have the playbook. Now we we know the playbook. They will always buy corporate debt now. They did it within 15 minutes. They decided to buy corporate debt. And again, it goes back to there's people that get so wrapped up on whether it's right or wrong or good or bad. The guys printing the money can do it as long as we're a primary currency. And they told you what they'll do in a bad situation. Yeah. Moral hazard. That's why we're trading. Moral hazard. that scar right. tissue, open it up. You know, it just keeps going. It's all about price discovery for me. And again, I, maybe I get too sort of wrapped up in this stuff and to my detriment many. But where would 10-year yields be if the Fed hadn't been doing the purchases you've been talking about for the last however many months it's been? Probably over a year and a half now. You know, It's a hard is, question. It, no, I mean, no, no, no. It's an easy question to answer for me. And I'm trying to say it because, you know, I think you have such a great handle on this. It doesn't matter. What I think makes me a little bit different with my client base, and and Moses can say for sure, I don't really care whether where it should be. It's where it is. Now, unless that's skewed. So, for example, right now you're skewed to the downside and yields guy. You're 100%. If they're printing $68 billion and the Fed is buying $80 billion, there's there's something in it. Let me ask Guy's question a different way. What if the Fed didn't have your back? Let's not talk oh, about. Okay, it would, wouldn't be in the situation where well, actually, we wouldn't going be, up. You wouldn't be at you know the multiple you're at. We you certainly would. the landlord would have defaulted. We wouldn't be here. 
in person. Right. So I, that's why I say, I, Danny, I don't think they'll ever raise rates in my career again because they can't. Yeah. They can't. They can't even quantitative tighten. They can't even reduce talking about talking about it. That's all they did. They did take out talking about talking about it. That's all they did. Yeah. They didn't have to change anything and it created dislocations that they had to walk back the next day. Well, they'll, next they'll do what they did, you know, in 14, 15, 16. I mean, they'll, they'll start to taper and then they'll do these little gingerly Fed funds increases of 25 basis points every couple meetings or something like that. They know that they have to get it back above 2% Fed funds so they can lower it when the next crisis comes. And, and you know, again, then we have the playbook from the dot-com bust. Then we have the playbook. We keep adding. G- we do. It's, it's a thick playbook. It's, so, it's getting bigger. Let me give you a story back in the day. Like back in the day, I walk into Dan's office and his partner, Vinny, sees me coming in. And at the time, I think they brand correct. You were at RBC then? No, I was at FTN. Oh, FTN. Midwest. Midwest. So I walk in and I was bullshit at the time because the guys printing the money were telling you they were going to keep printing the money. And these guys had it nailed, Whew, obviously, and historically looking back. But they brought me in to hear the other side of the trade. And the other side of the trade was... Don't fight the guys that can print the money. They're bigger than you. The market can stay irrational longer than you can stay liquid. So the point isn't, listen, I look at a chart. Look at the chart. It's up 91% in a year. Yeah, That's discounting something. But we know what will happen on any But it's really funny. I I just want to go back to something you said before. If you're following my calls on the day that I'm kind of expressing them, you're going to lose money. And and so your job is to advise clients, institutional clients. They're using your calls as an input. And it's really funny at this table right here. And Guy and I talked about this a lot. So Guy and I used to be institutional investors, that sort of thing. And now we have to opine on this stuff on a daily basis. And people think what we say on CNBC is a recommendation or something like that. And it's really funny what you just said that you used to go into Danny's office with Vinny and Porter and, and you got to hear the other side of it. And that's what we're trying to do a lot. I mean, I think that if you're going to take this podcast and I've enjoyed this conversation, but some people may, may listen to this and be like, oh man, those guys think that the end of the world's coming. And I think it's a great medium to like put up against your own views and, and kind of stress test it, if you will, like that. And, and just lastly, I'll just say punditry is really hard because on your desk, when you and the guys would come to a thesis and you'd express that that you couldn't change your mind every day, but you had to have the flexibility to do that. You had to manage risk, that sort of thing. On Fast Money every night, if Guy and I were to change our mind, I mean, we'll just get lambasted on the Twitter. What do they call it, Guy? They'll at you. They'll at me with great glee. I mean, there are a lot of people that can come on and basically go with the wind. Dan can't do it. I can't do it. I know Danny can't. Moses can't do it. But when we come back, folks, we're going to hear more from the great Tony Dwyer. So we're back with Tony Dwyer, and we had Brady Cobb and Isaac, the hockey player. I know you're watching hockey. I mean, Isaac is a goaltender right now in the National Hockey League playoffs, but it looks like Isaac's going to win the bet that he had with Brady. Can you sort of talk about that, Danny? Because it was a really interesting conversation we had a few months ago. Yeah, so Tony, the last time I saw you in person was out in California, the height of the cannabis trade, early 2019, right before things started to go, one of the cycles of down within the cannabis stocks, and you were at Canaccord, and you were presenting to a room, not about cannabis, just about the markets in general. Now, I don't think 95% of the people even understood what you were talking about in the room. Not that they were high or whatever, but it didn't relate necessarily. <laughs> it was early in the it morning. Did. In the morning. You know, even more reason probably that they were high. But I don't think that that necessarily related because it's such a micro, not a macro group, and it has been kind of this thing. But I wanted to kind of rot off the tape here 
do my thing here on rip off the tape. Yeah, You're on, not Danny. rotting off the tape. We call it rot, which stands <laughs> yeah. for rip off the tape. Please, I'm going to rip off the tape because I haven't talked about the sector in a, several weeks and it's kind of been down a little bit. It's had a recent run up, but what's really frustrating here is that the state of Connecticut just legalized cannabis the other day. There's now 19 states have approved some form. Well, adult use, and 36 have medical programs, right? That, that's the state of Connecticut. State of Rhode Island, the state Senate just approved cannabis. That's going to go to a vote later in the year. Pennsylvania's drawing up bills. It's happening, right? It doesn't matter. Biden's administration was supposed to come in and basically pave the way for access to the banking system, which is the most needed thing within the sector because people out there know. So there's something called the Secured and Fair Enforcement Act, which is called SAFE. That's like the bill that's kind of out there. It passed two months ago in the House 300 to 100 or whatever the number was, right? And then it just decided Schumer promised that he would bring this thing up. So there's two things. There's a comprehensive bill, criminal justice, which I'm all for, um, prison reform, which I'm all for, and they want to bring everything in with the SAFE Act. I don't think that's doable. But what they need to do is pass the SAFE Act in conjunction with either the infrastructure bill or the budget for the debt ceiling, which, Tony, we can talk about that later, debt ceiling, and get this thing done so that people can get access to the banking system and it's not a cash business anymore. And it's been the one thing holding this industry back and it's time that they do this already. And and it's very frustrating. And I want to see some movement on it. And it, it's enough already. What does this mean for individual cannabis names, in your opinion, Danny Moses? I'm not looking to tee you up here, but I know you have some thoughts on this. Well, the cost of capital goes down dramatically. They can pay their employees instead of out of the trunk, actually through a payroll system. They can provide benefits, which they really can't do. They should need to fix the tax code because too much of it they can't deduct as far as normal course expensive because it's a Schedule One narcotic. It's just simple stuff that makes no sense. We sat here talking about the budget, federal government and state budgets. This is a windfall. Look at the state of Colorado. Their school system has never been healthier. But in terms of the fiscal of these schools, it, it's amazing. So if it's done right, and every state, by the way, that approves gets better and better. They, they learn what not to do in the other states' programs. And to me, the last thing will be the exchanges and the access to capital. The cost of capital goes down dramatically. And if you get that, you will get the exchanges. Believe me, you guys sit in the exchange every day for fast money. You understand that they want an excuse to list companies, not not list them. And I think it would be total bonanza. And listen, I, I'm, I'm still very excited about the trade, but we need the, we need some enforcement act to come in. So on top of the Biden administration not doing much, the head of the VA, the Veterans Affairs, basically came out in a hearing and spoke against expanding research for the medical benefits of cannabis for veterans, for PTSD and for pain and for chronic pain. How do you do that? That's actually going backwards. So I'm very frustrated with the Biden administration as it relates to cannabis. I, I think, Dan, you know I'm not an expert on – I'm not an expert on anything, but definitely not an expert on cannabis. Um, yeah, although your 401k has been benefiting from it, it for a while. It, it, hopefully you're yeah. an expert well, aviator because we need to get back to your wife. But you can't there, be an expert on cannabis to, and an expert okay. That's a good aviator. point. That's a good oh, point. That's a good point. But what I found the most interesting at that conference we were at wasn't the timing of anything with the stocks. It was the business. So if you remove the word cannabis – and look at the business of it and how it's progressing and the banking system relative to it. I think that's what I found the most interesting a couple of years ago during the height of the whole the whole thing. It's, it's like capitalism 101. Now listen, there, you talk about the Fed not being involved in a sector. This is the one sector where you still get double-digit fixed income returns. You can actually lend against it. That's what capitalism is. That's what it should be without the government intervention. However, in this case, 
They need a free pass from the government so they could, these banks can start lending. Some banks are doing it. They're and my compliance would go crazy if I didn't just reinforce that I'm not having an opinion on cannabis or anything yeah. like Our firm is a huge underwriter of it. That's what it is. Exactly. Right? No, it's interesting. I mean, it's what's fast. The days are actually getting shorter now. We're in the back half of the year. I mean, we're going to wake up. It's going to be the second half of 2021, which I can't believe. And I have some pretty strong views as what I think is happening. I'll just share a few. I'm still of the belief that 10-year yields ratchet up towards 2%. And what that means for banks, I think, is positive. What that means for the broader market is negative. But Dan, Nathan, I know you probably have the complete opposite. I'm just curious to what your broad thoughts are here. Yeah, so in our last few up. minutes before Tony jets out of here, um, it is a jet, right? No. Tony? no, oh, no. I wish single I was engine. big enough Sing- to afford oh, a jet. I don't want to read about you later, by the way. <laughs> Buddy, it's, single it's, engine. it's, whoa, it's the one whoa, that has the parachute. Whoa. Buddy, you got said 400. It out loud. You can't say it out loud. Oof. But you got a at 500 feet, there's the magic red handle in the Cirrus SR22T, and you pull the handle. It just happened in Colorado. Did you see that? Uh, there was an accident in Colorado where a guy, a guy turned into, and his, I guess his wheels hit a cargo jet. They were coming in on parallel runways. So the cargo guy, cool as a cucumber on the mic. Um, it's like I've lost an engine. I'm going to land straight ahead. And he did. And the Cirrus pilot pulled the magic red handle that my wife loves that is there Yeah, in a parachute jets out the back of the plane and it's got straps around the chassis of the plane. So if you're 500 feet above the ground, that's what the plane that I fly has. So that, I mean, when you're flying over the Adirondacks, my wife looks at me and says, what happens if we lose an engine, the engine? I go, well, we're tree surfing. She's like, can we do something about that? (laughs) And so we, and so you pull the red handle 500 feet above the ground and you float down like, the plane is under a parachute. Sounds like the Fed, actually. That's that's a good summary for the 4th of July summary. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. It was helicopter money, I thought, was the term that they yeah. used. Right? Yeah. Uh, now it's a- uh, EVTOL dream- money. And now, now it's just Dreamliner money. All right. Let's talk about this. we got a couple minutes left here. All right. My take, here's my setup. I think that you have a couple really great looking charts on the major indices. And if you didn't take out all the crap that we just said about rates, about Fed policy, about inflation fears, about Delta variants, and this, if you looked at this Russell 2000 chart and the base that it has been in since February, and it is about to break out and it's got a catalyst, a bipartisan. When's the last time we've used that term, bipartisan anything? So you have a bipartisan infrastructure bill. The Russell 2000 is breaking out to a new range. The NASDAQ already broke out after this long consolidation, and the S&P 500 is at new highs. So here's the deal. This is the way I see it. I don't think rates are going up. I think rates are going down. I actually think that's going to be negative for stocks because they're going to be going down for reasons that I don't think are going to be great for the economy in, in dealing with what I think is going to be a much slower second half in 2022. So I think you're going to get a rip right here in a quarter end. We also have this Russell rebalancing. So you're going to get this rip in a quarter end. I think you might see a continuation because you're getting led now by some some of these mega cap tech names into their earnings, but nothing they say about Q3 in the second half is going to be enough to get these stocks going higher and you're going to get your tactical 10% decline. And I think that's going to get bought. I mean, and, and if there's no other policy errors or the Fed doesn't get too hawkish or anything like that, it's going to be a fairly sort of narrow correction about 10%. It's hard for me to get my my head around that. I, you just you, gave me a look like, shut up. No, no, I'm trying to get, I'm trying like, to get my thoughts. Up. No, I'm trying to get my thoughts together on that because- I still think at the end of the day, we have these periods of days or a week where we can ignore some of the inflationary stuff that's out there and what the Fed may or may not do. And I can't predict what the Fed's going to do, but I do believe if you continuously have high prints, and I, I'm looking at wage inflation, Tony, is the number one thing. And if that keeps going, you have two choices. 
raise rates, or your corporate margins are going down, or both, or both are going to occur. So either pass on those prices to the consumer, that's inflationary, or don't, and you're going to eat it on the on the margin. So talk about rotation. It'll be really interesting to see what happens with that because companies are now first going to start to report, to Dan, to your point, not until late July or you know August when they start to report the quarter, what that how that's manifested itself and looked. And I don't think it's going to be transitory. And I think guidance is going to come down for the rest of the year. I think there's supply chain issues out there across the globe. I think there's inflation areas. Well, I got to interrupt though for a second. Okay, so McDonald's said that they are not going to be raising prices on consumers, okay, despite the fact that labor and some of the stuff's going up. Have you walked into McDonald's lately, guys? You don't order from a person anymore. You order from a screen that's three feet high. So I keep hearing about low-end wage inflation. It's such a small sliver, I suspect, of corporate profits when you think about the move towards automation in almost every sector, in, especially in low-paying jobs. So you you might have this near, it might be transitory, Danny, because you might get the productivity gains of automation that come out of this period that we've been in. And so you might have a near-term spike as far as wage inflation, but I think the other thing- uh, Technology has, no question, has created, I mean, we talk about the flat screen television in general, that was one of the big deflationary items that occurred that literally out of nowhere, not out of nowhere, but had a big impact. That may be true, but someone's making those machines. A machine those- is making those machines. No, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm just telling you, that's exactly what's yeah. going on. Well, don't forget, what really is driving core inflation is owner's equivalent rent. So, yes, Danny, I'm uh, I'm with you on that, and that there is some that's not transitory. Lumber prices, things like that are transitory. But owner's equivalent rent and labor really isn't that transitory. If gas stays up here for a long period of time, if it stays at these levels, well, oil it's rates. when has it ever if, done if that? If rates when is, stay when? down here- no, I, I'm not saying it's going to, but Dan, yeah, if it does, yeah. it has an impact on the consumer. If like rates does, stay down here, then you're going to have inflationary impact because that keeps housing and rentals at a higher cost and continuing higher. Remember, this is year over year stuff on inflation. So you got to have an increase next year on top of this I get year. It. Right. So that, that really comes down to it. I'm a historian. So let's look at what happened. I think the summertime, similar to that transition period in 04 and 2010 that people are starting to pick up on, just creates a chop. It was 15% in 2010. It was 8% in 2004. It can be anywhere in there. But the only thing that I think that could cause that is if you get a bounce back up in rates. Let's look at today as we're taping this. When I came in here, when I was thinking of getting ready to come in here, Mega cap stocks were leading everything to a new all-time high. Mega cap stocks are not only down from that point, a couple of them are down almost 2%. And the S&P is in the exact same spot because that got made up for by the 1.8% move in the, in the KBW Bank Stock Index. That's the rotation I'm talking about. If you're just looking at the index, unless you're a passive investor, where's the action? If you actually came into this session, the NASDAQ's ripping, we're all going up, right? Don't. After the infrastructure thing happened today with President Biden, that changed the dynamic. It's about the rotation. Hey, Guy. So I would wrap it up with this, and I'll turn it over to you. But <laughs> this is 1970s New York City right now, right? We're going to have a hot summer, a lot of crime, a lot of inflation. feels like 70s. So you were, you, were already, you, had already, you were already raising your family by then. I was this, voting. I voted yeah. for Lindsay. I was a Lindsay guy back yeah. in the day. So it definitely you feels like so. It. How old are you? I'm going to be 87 in December. (laughs) You don't look a day over 90, I swear to God. (laughs) It feels like 70s New York City, without question. (laughs) Don't let let Jerry uh, Seinfeld heal. You know what I mean? Well, I I mean, you can say what you want, but it, it, it certainly appears that way. And we'll see. I hope I'm wrong. Listen, I hope Danny and I are both wrong. The, the, I think what concerns me is, and we'll sort of end it on this note, 
The Fed thinks they can control something that's completely out of their control in the form of inflation. And, you know, when that genie's out of the bottle, which I think it is, be careful because they're not going to be able to put it back in. Anyway, it's been an honor to have you with us, Tony Dwyer. Thanks so much for joining us on the tape. Tony, last couple words. You guys are three of my closest guys in this business. I think you guys are all smart as hell and you're willing to, I know it from experience, you're willing to listen to alternative ideas and change your view and migrate with it. And I think that is what makes for a true quality investor. But more important than that, you're good guys. And I think sometimes in this business, it's all about the money, blah, blah, blah. No, it's not. I don't think good guys finish last. And I'm, I'm honored to be here with you guys. Thank you, Tony. Yeah, I'm still not flying with you on that plane, but thanks for we'll those see. kind words. Nobody <laughs> wants to fly on the plane until they need to. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's amazing how many people are in the plane that said, I'll never fly in the plane. <laughs> True. <laughs> thanks again to our presenting sponsors, CME Group, iConnections, and FactSet. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show, and we also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com. Derivatives are not suitable for all investors and involve the risk of losing more than the amount originally deposited and any profit you might have made. This communication is not a recommendation or offer to buy, sell, or retain any specific investment or service.